Aloha Nui Loa. It's Michelle. I'm doing a pre-intro, so you're going to hear two intros. Um, when I recorded last night, I was so emotional reading all these stories, and I, I hope it doesn't bother you. I was going to actually apologize. Then, when I sat down at my desk, I realized I'd forgotten to do one of uh, Murph's really cool things, you know, that I pull the gift that she made. I pull these little sayings out of there. And one was lying on the desk. I think I've read it before. So here I am ready to apologize for being so emotional that I could barely get through some of the material. And I picked this little Murphism up. And it says, my wish is that you realize it's natural to be vulnerable sometimes for you and everyone else. <laughs> so that made me just uh, laugh at myself and go, um, Okay, I'm not going to apologize, but I will, I'm going to try to record some things in the daytime. I'm thinking maybe I'll be less um, sentimental, and uh, who knows? We'll find out. But I thought I'd also switch it up for next podcast. Our subject is going to be, you know, it's so heavy out there. Let's do, let's have some fun. Let's tell stories on ourselves. Like, what was your most embarrassing moment? or something funny or silly or stupid that you did. Oh, I have so many of those. <laughs> so send them to michellerungren at gmail.com or you can record your own story uh, on your phone and send and email it to me and we'll play it on the air. Or you can also call 808-431-4884 and uh, leave a message that will play on the air and tell you, you've got three minutes on that uh, answering machine on yours, on your Google thing. You've got as much as you want to record. So thanks for letting me uh, read all those long stories and they were so touching. Uh, today I helped Todd uh, film a segment for his show. He's so excited. He's uh, already started on, on the show. And uh, again, you're going to hear me thank you in a minute but it's, it's really made a difference in his life. And hopefully you're entertained too. So thanks very much. And I forgot to, at the end of uh, the show, I forgot to thank my producer, Joey Ray, my family for letting me do this, and for Todd for not listening. <laughs> Mostly thank you to you guys for contributing and helping make the show really groovy. All right, here we go with the sentimental show. A cop's kid. Aloha. Aloha from Kauai. How's everybody doing out there? Well, the first thing I want to say is I am so, so happy. I'm sorry it took me so long to do another show, but Todd was... You guys made Todd so happy. He, you know, wanted to do this show, and you tuned in, and... He took it so seriously. He was, he, he's constantly thinking, constantly filming stuff. I'm dropping papers. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in because it meant a lot to him. And then also, there was kind of a catastrophe on the meet and greet. And so while that was happening and it was cutting everybody off, I convinced him. Well, I, I didn't convince him. I just said, no, that's wrong. It has to be two minutes. One minute? That's bullshit. So 
extended two minutes. And also, if you didn't get through, like if he called you, Steve in Texas, if um, he didn't connect, then don't worry. The next time they do the show, then he's going to connect. It's so weird, though, that we're all, we've all, like, camped together and for weeks at a time. And then we're supposed to say hi in two minutes, well, one minute before, but now that I bitched, two minutes. It just seems odd, but uh, both of us were talking about that, like, how strange that feels. Like, you feel like our friends, but then... Because if there are 50 people that he calls, two minutes adds up. And, and and we just know, you guys. We know that you're supporting him financially and uh, send me a word. <laughs> What's the other word. There are thousands of words that describe how you're supporting him. And it just made him so happy. And he's really excited to do the next one, too. Uh, probably, aside from recording a Christmas song, it's his focus. Like, how does he entertain uh, his friends, you guys? And thank you so much for, for supporting him. I know you have forever, long, long decades before I was around. But I just see the enthusiasm, and I wanted to just thank everybody and tell everyone that it means a lot to him i mean he couldn't believe how many people were tuned in you know and when some of the pre-recorded stuff that he's recording has recorded um he like looks over at me and is like oh my god this is so great because they're feeding him stats about who's tuned in and and he recognizes everybody's names Sorry, I'm I'm a little like party party girl. I might even re-record this if I'm too party girl. I am so excited that Rex is uh, on island. Anyway, he um, he's in quarantine though for two weeks. We can't touch him or be in his space, but we can look at him from afar and we can take his meals and <laughs> prop him in little boxes in front of him. But I just feel like I'm you know. Uh, one of his three parents again, and it's just really nice. We can't be within six feet. We have to be more than six feet from him. So he's now out in the yard doing yard work. He doesn't really come into our space. It's really freaking weird, but in a, in 10 days, and we'll be able to actually hug Rex. And thank you guys for all asking about Rex. I know a couple of you were worried about him, but he's doing really well. He he looks really great. He looks like the athlete that I've always known him to be. So I better get right into the show if I decide to let this go after two and a half beers. I'm just so excited to have Rex home. Plus, it was so freaking hot. And I replanted 120 plants today. And then I went into the jungle with my Sawzall. It's called a Sawzall. It's battery operated. And there were a couple trees that needed to be trimmed. No, they needed to be cut down. 
that were starting to grow into our view. But I had to hack through the jungle with my little sickle first. And I broke my finger and my wrist is still in a cast. But I still did it even though Todd told me I was crazy. I got to the trees and they're freaking huge. So I made a little dent. I just kind of cut them so that they will fall during the next windstorm. And our ocean view will be back or better. Oh, enough about that weird shit. Okay, I'm going to read statements and questions. Woody. <laughs> I misunderstood Woody. So Woody says, Queen Michelle. Oh, no, I get it, Woody. Sorry. He says, I hate to bring a correction to what you referred to as your favorite letter, but when I said that I thought much of an early human was inspired by the queen, not the band queen, LOL, are you trying to get me beat up? By the peace-loving Todd fans? <laughs> of course, I'm kidding about that. Just wanted to clear it up. I love your honesty and real feels in what is now my favorite podcast. Ah, ah thanks, Woody. <laughs> so, Woody says, why don't you tell us what your favorite songs are? Or maybe focus on one song each show. Ooh, good idea. But... I just read this live, Woody, so I'm not prepared. Hmm. I think I've kind of made it clear um, about one. I'll just talk about one, and then I'll take your... I will definitely take this to task and do that, Woody. So probably the thing that surprised me the most, the song that surprised me the most, remember... Back when uh, I, I was very lucky that Todd gave me the task of production manager on recording all his songs, meaning he finished a song, sort of handed me the lyrics and the instrumentation. About I've said this before, but I'll, I'll do it again. Here, here the, here's the instrumentation. I need this musician, this, this, this guitar, this, this tambourine, this keyboard, this organ this flute this so I hired everybody and booked those studio booked the studio and booked the sessions and I listened to Hawking because he had demos him where he would do them himself he didn't do all the instrumentation uh, on the recording but at the time he he was using really arcane software to try to write the music out for everyone. Sometimes he would just literally in the studio play it for someone. Literally like Vince. He would just go to the keyboard and go like, it's like this. And Vince goes, okay. Vince could look at his fingers and recreate that. And he tried to have a chart, but uh, Vince wanted to see Todd's fingers so he could feel that song and play it the way Todd played it. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Anyway, when I heard Hawking, which was about Stephen Hawking, I loved it so much. And, of course, I tried to practice the background vocals because I was going to book myself for that session. I couldn't get through it emotionally. So <laughs> I didn't book myself on that song. On the record, I'm not singing that because I kept crying. It was so beautiful. I, it was just, so anyway, Woody, that was one of them. I couldn't sing it 
I couldn't record it. And then when I sang it live on tour, I literally had to just think of like weird shit on stage to not, well, you, you guys saw me. My eyes were closed because I couldn't look at anyone because if you were feeling the same way about the song that I was, I was going to choke. Remember, I've said it before. If you start to like tear up emotionally, your, your throat closes up and you can't sing shit. Anyway, thanks, Chris, for that question. Bob Gustafson, quote, we would all vote TR in 2020. He says, also six feet away. Yeah, that, but please, Bob, don't. Please, please, Bob. Todd wants you to vote Biden. Our first choice was Elizabeth, but Biden's our guy now. Anything that can change what's happening now. So, Bob, thank you, but please, 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 Biden. And I can't wait. I can't wait to hear who he's going to have for his running mate. It has to be. So even though Todd and I are totally Elizabeth Warren, we realize that it should be a woman of color. It's time. It is time. That's just our thing. Well, I just realized I threw out our politics there. I hope he does too. I'm not... huh. Veronica. Oh yeah. Thanks, Veronica. Remember last show I was talking about my bandmates, Rick and Amy and Toxicats? They have a house in Princeville, Kauai that is so cool. It's right in the middle of Princeville. You can bike or walk to Tiki Niki, Queen's Bath, all these great places. Uh, if and when we all open up and Kauai, well, all the state of Hawaii decided to open up August 1st, but our restrictions are you have to have a negative COVID test within 72 hours of getting on a plane. So paradise is yours. <laughs> anyway, Veronica, thank you. Um, she actually, you, oh man, Veronica, are you going to be able to come in August? Ooh. Anyway, uh, thanks. It's, if you want to check it out, Elite Pacific Vacations, or you can go to VRBO. The name of the house, so in Hawaii we call it Hale. A house is a Hale. It's Iki, I-K-I, Nui, N-U-I, Hale, H-A-L-E. And it's three bedrooms, eight guests, totally tricked out. It's, it's great. Regina. Oh, Regina. I loved your video. Regina said uh, on my Gmail, uh, michellerungren at gmail.com, Regina sent a video. Have you guys seen her boots? <laughs> she has a great, great story that she relays uh, about bringing her boots to a show that she created. Um, and Randy, Randy Rundgren, saw her and took him backstage to have Todd sign him. Not only Todd, but the whole band. So, Regina, I did play your video for Todd. He loved the video, but he remembered the boots. He loves the boots. And uh, and something about <laughs> a bag of chips. Yeah. Oh, Fair Warning is your favorite song. 
but you refuse to say why because it would take too long. Huh? That happens to a lot of us. Anyway, I love that you said I took 73 pictures when you met when you were doing the meet and greet with Todd. <laughs> I know he was always bitching at me for taking too long, but it was worth it. <laughs> Julie Crow, I mean, sorry, Julie. Hi, Julie. Julie Crowley. Now, Julie, I, I, your married name is it? Kokrida, Kokrida. Is it Japanese? Tell me, Julie. Email me. So I'm going to say it wrong, maybe, Julie. Julie Crowley, which is, you know, uh, Downton Abbey. Kokrida. Uh, um, I will tell Rex hi. Thank you for thinking of him. And you and your story uh, about the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he... I will tell Rex that you're thinking about him. But he's doing great. He's home here on Kauai. We're going to take good care of him. <laughs> Tom Houston from Ashland, Oregon. Has lots of ideas. Okay, Tom. Don't tell me you have lots of ideas. Send the freaking ideas. <laughs> and Tom asked, if, did I sing to my kids? Because he remembered that my mom sang to me. And then she would always ask me. If you haven't listened to all the podcasts, I think the most, besides my mother and father leading by example, the most interesting, important thing she ever said to me, and I carried that on with my children when they went to bed, is what have you decided to dream about tonight? Or what will you dream about tonight? Which set up being able to decide what to dream about. And with nowadays, you know, decades later, uh, intention seems to be everything. So, yeah. Come on, Tom. You got ideas, send them. I did sing to my kids. And <laughs> remember, I had boys. So most of them, like Rex actually listened. Uh, Randy listened. They never commented. Rex and Randy didn't comment on singing. And so I just like, you know, would tuck them in, kiss their forehead and leave. Um, but Rebop stopped me. <laughs> Rebop would stop me from singing. He would listen for a while and then he would say, Mom, stop. And maybe I'll have to ask him why he stopped me. You know, with Rebop, he has ex maybe perfect, if, if not exact, pitch. So maybe it was my musicality at the late hour. And he was like, stop, you sang a wrong note. I don't know that, but I'll have to ask him. So, oh, and Tom's wife, Stephanie, yes, I do remember, Tom, the baby quilt. I have it. I have it in my hope chest. And if Rebop ever freaking has a kid, I will bring that out. But it was it was so cool. And I also that made me think of the quilts that you guys all made. Uh, oh my gosh, I don't even remember what year that was, but I remember giving them to Todd. We were in Woodstock for Christmas. Liv was there with us. Rex and Randy, I don't think Rebop was born yet. So a long time ago. But we had those hanging up in our principal house forever. 
and now they're actually in um, they're in the Japanese room but we have to be really careful because the Princeville house was like a regular house where everything was protected and here it's not it's kind of very open air but yeah those quilts were amazing and Drew Tamaki <laughs> yes Drew thank you for my birthday present <laughs> You know what? That was really freaking funny. Drew, <laughs> Drew knows the island of Kauai. So he sent, uh, he sent Todd and, uh, he sent Todd and me a wishing well shave ice gift certificate. That's shave ice in Honolulu. Shave ice, if you don't, I'm sure everybody knows what shave ice is, but it's in, it's a Hawaii dessert. So instead of getting an ice cream cone, uh, Hawaiians like grind up ice and pour like syrups over it. And there are like probably 20, 30 different syrups you can put on there. You know, banana, little koi, haupia. So, and June not only gave us a gift certificate, but he gave our employees at Tiki and Niki. So that, and everything shut down, Drew. So one of the things that I'm going to tell everybody when we start back up, is that hey if you come back to work we got a gift certificate for shave eyes for you they will laugh they will love that thanks drew <laughs> oh speaking of tiki diki okay my preliminary opening date july 31st it's a friday night i i'm building plexiglass barriers in between bar stools little bamboo walls in between tables it's a wild, wild, wild time, but I want to try desperately to make, I want to try to make it okay so that everybody feels safe when they come in and they still feel like it's a tiki bar, something odd and fun. Okay. Question from Anne. Am I whipping through these too fast? What are your days like? A typical day during quarantine. Oh, oh. I'm probably going to whip through it because it, they're weird. Okay, I open, I wake up anywhere between 6.30 and 9.30, depending on when, you know, how late I was up. I go downstairs. I get a dog. Is this boring? Okay, I get a dog. It's boring, but I'm going to say it anyway. I get dog treats for the four dogs. I walk back up to the bedroom. They all sleep upstairs with us um i give them their dog their organic chicken dog treat then i go downstairs i serve up their dog food which i make i make their dog food because when i had dachshunds it cost us a ton of money in surgeries and stuff because of the the crap that's in regular dog food and I didn't know this, but I, it saves me money in dog vet bills, surgery stuff. So I make their dog food out of chicken and vegetables and rice, sometimes beef treats. Um, anyway, okay. So then I go and feed them. Now this is COVID. This isn't, this was not my normal life. Then, and Todd's still sleeping because he... I go to bed a couple hours before he does. Many hours before he does. 
So he sleeps in anywhere between eight and nine thirty. But I'm up. I go downstairs and I made this uh, little gardening section where every morning I water all my seedlings and I take out two trays of, what do you call them, planting trays. And I plant two trays of the next seeds because seeds take a while to germinate and plant and all that crap. And then I feed the the koi in the pond. We have a, I'll take a picture of that if some of you hadn't seen our house. Um, I feed the koi up, upper pond and lower pond. Did I say to feed the dogs? Good. Then, uh, what do I do after that? Oh, I wash the dishes because I wash dishes while we're cooking dinner, but then I stick all the dinner dishes in the sink with water and leave them because I hate doing dishes. So I'd rather just sit and watch TV with Todd at night before I go to bed and then I'll do the dishes in the morning. Then I set up his little orange drink station with vitamins. <laughs> he love he picks our the fresh fruit off of our trees and we wash them and put them in the drawer. And in the morning when he does get up, he takes two oranges and I have this really cool little section of the kitchen that's only for juicing his oranges with a little, I, I set up his clean juicer, a knife, clean, what do you call it, cutting board, his vitamins, I, I stick like in different places every day so it's stupidly interesting. And after that, I can't remember. Oh, I plant plants in the garden. I go upstairs and I do tiki business for a couple hours because there's oh there are always bills and liquor department crap and licensing. Even though we're not open right now, it's amazing. I'm gonna have to stop there because I can't remember. I'm feeling like it's a mundane life, but we're all doing that, right? I just try to keep really busy. Most mostly I'm in the yard. Oh, but today I chopped down trees. Yeah. Oh, I mow the lawn with our electric mower. Oh my gosh. I'm going to stop. <sighs> hey, Stephen EJ, I want to <laughs> thank you for sending the cowbell. Stephen EJ from Florida. Oh my gosh. Thank God they're safe. Florida's going nuts. Uh, they sent me a cowbell. They send me really goofy presents and they really, <laughs> it's very entertaining. And uh, also, EJ worked for hours and hours and hours doing all this really cool tiki footage. All the old TV shows, old Todd concert footage, and hopefully uh, I'll be able to put that up at Tiki Niki when we open again. Jean Lannan sends me really good photos from what she's doing. In fact, I have some... Well, Jean Lannan's taken great shots of us our family throughout the well, past 35 years. Maybe you were doing it way before 35, but I've been around for the 35 years. 
and Danny O'Connor too. So I keep in I keep in touch with both of those guys every day, and and they've been a huge part of our family's life, and chronicled our family through pictures. So that was part of the day. Okay, I'm getting rid of I'm getting rid of the questions. I'll do more later. Uh, Janet Spar, you sent me something about afterlife, but it didn't all come through. So tell me what? Tell me what about that? I want to know more. Um, and Veronica, I forgot. I'm going to have to go over. I wrote a note. Ribeye, I asked TR. And I forgot what that was all about. All I know is I broke my little finger a couple nights ago because Todd made the world's biggest freakest longest porchetta or is it porchetta i want to say porchetta that sounds more italian anyway he made this yard long porchetta it's a pork lane in the middle a bunch of herbs and oh crap i can't remember what's wrapped around the outside uh pork belly Pork bellies wrapped around the outside. It literally went from one side of the oven to the other. And he had like five trays underneath to catch all the grease. So finally put it on a huge platter after we tasted it. And it was freaking amazing. And I was going to the refrigerator. And I was downstairs. And I slipped. and didn't want the porchetta to go on the ground. So... I just quickly dropped my hands onto the ground so it wouldn't, uh, it's hard to explain, but I realized it's freaking heavy and it busted my finger. I don't know why I said all that story, but anyway. Yeah, I broke my finger. <laughs> I better get a bone density test. Okay. Oh, this is going to be a hard one. I think I'm gonna read Eileen's story first and then then read a, read the question about uh, Rebop talking to me about my dad. Okay, Eileen sent me a story. It's really long, but it's good. So I'm gonna read this. And it probably reflects on what you're what many of us are thinking. Okay. Oh, and by the way, Eileen, I'm sorry I, I downplayed the package you sent because when Tiki and Nihi comes back to uh, online, we had to do some, you know, COVID reconstruction. When we come back, we're going to do Bloody Mary stuff, and you sent me all that cool stuff, and I didn't want to tell people online, like, Eileen sent me all this cool stuff, and guess what? We're going to do Bloody Marys. No, I wanted to keep it a secret, so now it's not. But, and everyone listening, if you were at Navarro, one of the highlights of, of Todd's experiences was walking into Eileen's camp with her, wasn't that yours too? Her Bloody Mary mixed table. A whole table of things you could make your Bloody Mary. Anyway, he wanted me to create that at home. I didn't because I can't. Eileen, you guys were amazing. Okay, Eileen says, here's my story. You guys all ready for this? Sorry, I'm going off the book, but it's, uh, it's, it's intense. Okay, Eileen, here's my story. 
I've been so upset and full of anger since the George Floyd killing. Murder. I don't believe in hate, and I do not hate anyone. In parentheses, I might dislike a few uh, a few of lot. Have no hate in my heart until now. I have not been able to sleep at night and have given myself almost an ulcer with a tight stomach having feelings of hatred for police officers. I live in a small town just minutes outside of Seattle, and there are some policemen who drive around where I live just checking on things in the neighborhood. It's a quiet little area with 1940s, 50s bungalow houses and a small mom-and-pop shop and cafes. I was out for a walk the other day, and an officer drove by me with his window down. He looked and waved at me. I glared at him and did not wave back and felt rage when I looked at him. I also walked past a couple officers when walking my dog a few days after. They were parked in the church parking lot next to my house, talking and walking past them, and they said hello to me. I did not respond. I just walked past them and ignored them. This is very immature behavior, I know. But I had a point to prove. And I could not control myself stereotyping them that they too, all of them, must be bad and evil like the man who kneeled on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while he called for his mother and begged that he could not breathe and the other officers that watched and did nothing until George went limp dead. I cannot get that video out of my head and don't think I ever will. I've actually felt an anger for policemen and women for about 27 years. My ex-husband, Sean, and I loved to party and used to go out to Seattle all the time when we were in our 20s. I lived here through the grunge era and have seen many shows and concerts as the city was a mecca for great music and lots of artists used to come, including Todd and still do. It was my lace top and very short leather skirt with permed long hair. <laughs> I saw Pearl Jam and Soundgarden when they were just starting out in small clubs in 1991 and would see them around in bars when out partying. One night, Sean and I were going out with another couple to Ballard Firehouse, a cool old firehouse made into a dance bar to see a band called Sabotage. Sorry, turn the page. They were very big in the 90s, and we are really excited to go to this show. Well, we go into the firehouse, got in and got our drinks, and the show soon started. I was, It was packed, and the crowd was ready to party. There was an eclectic, oh, electric vibe in the air. They were loud, and they rocked. They played maybe a song or two, and then started having sound problems. They had to stop. It was like having a rug pulled out from under you. The crowd was jolted from having to stop rocking out. The band kept trying thing to get things fixed and after about 30 minutes had to announce that the show had to end. They blew up their equipment and could not play anymore. The crowd started getting kind of miffed before they're announcing, but, but yelling out stuff like, Let's go! Come on! What the fuck? And when they said they could not play anymore, 
people started getting really pissed. It looked like we got two songs and we're not getting our money back. People were yelling, cussing, started to throw bottles, chairs started flying. We looked at our friends and we thought, oh, sorry, lost my place. Ah. Actually, I just lost my contact. Okay. Uh, so management started yelling for everyone to leave. So we headed for the door. I mean, it was disappointing, but wow, no need for a riot. As we're in the line to get out the front door, it was crowded. There were some police at the door trying to get everyone out. And Sean was behind me holding on to me. And we were just trying to get out and leave and to not get hurt. All of a sudden, a guy, a guy behind Sean picks up a chair and throws it at one of the cops at the door. We thought, oh shit, this is bad. The cop looked at us and he grabbed Sean. They thought he threw the chair. They pulled him outside and he was trying to say it wasn't him. They wouldn't listen and they threw him down on the pavement. It was blacktop and the kind of jagged small rocks and it's not smooth. And his face started bleeding badly. It started, I started screaming at them to stop. It was just crazy how fast this all happened. And it was not Sean. They told me, let's see, sorry. They told me to stand back and I could just not stand to see them doing this to my guy. I kept saying, please, please stop. It wasn't him. And then two cops grabbed me and threw me down the pavement and hit my legs with their belly clubs panty hose and short skirt high heels i screamed and he pulled my arms really tight behind my back and handcuffed me they already had sean cuffed and they put him in the cop car then pulled me up and drug me over to a separate cop car we both drove off in different cars into the night I was so scared. I think I peed myself and I could hear the cop saying stuff like, dumb little bitch, we'll show her, or something like that in the front seat. I thought, oh God, what are they going to do with me and where are they going to take me? I'm, I started visioning them taking me out somewhere, raping me, killing me. They drove me to a North Seattle police station and booked me for obstruction of justice and put me in a cell with another girl. This was probably about midnight, 1, 2 a.m. By now, it was freezing with no heat. I had a thin lace top on, ripped nylons. They took my shoes, and here I was with this girl, probably late 20s, looked like she had a really rough night. Her arms were bare, scabbed, and she had tracks, needle marks, all up and down the insides of her arms. I was like, holy shit, I'm in hell. I'm going to die here. And where is Sean? I remember getting really tired. It was absolutely freezing cold. And the girl I eventually leaned against each other for some body heat and something. Somehow we fell asleep. I think I was losing my buzz and passed out from fear. We were woken up and I was told I was going to King County Jail to spend the night. This is in downtown Seattle where people who really do some bad stuff go. I was petrified. I got there in a van and was taken inside. There was a line of offenders from the weekend night getting booked into jail. And there was Sean in line. I was so happy to see him, but he was, he was so far away from me and we couldn't talk. The men had to take their pants off and put their orange jumpsuits on. And they made me do the same. 
I had to expose myself in my underwear and put on my orange suit. I was a mess, crying. I looked over at Sean, and it killed him to see me having to do that in front of everyone. I was completely desperate and humiliated. They took us to cells eventually, and I got to put a cell in. Uh, I got put in a cell with another woman that had a tiny window and a door that was almost a foot thick. I thought, no way will everyone hear me scream if someone does something to me in here. I looked around when I got in there, and there were several women in there, and there were some huge ones. They were laughing at me and said, what did you do, honey? In a smart-ass sneer, I can't remember if I answered. I thought, how in the hell am I going to survive this? It was dark in there with only a dim light bulb and a hole in the floor to, to go to potty. I just stood in the corner and shook. I figured this is how I'll die. At one point, I looked over, and one of the big women pulled out a crack pipe from her vagina. I thought I was going to faint. What the fuck? It was a living nightmare, and I just figured out one of these women is going to beat the shit out of me, and what could be happening to Sean and his cell figuring he was probably in there with murderers. I, I don't know. I, I really remember what happened. After a while, eventually someone came to get me, and I said I could make a phone call. Oh, and they said they could, I could make a phone call. I called my friend who'd gone to the show with us. I told her where I was, and she said she'd get bail and try to get me out. I think it was about 6 a.m. She paid my bail. I got out. As I was walking out of the cellar area, I happened to look over at the cell and I saw Sean. I knew where he was, at least he was still standing. I got out of the building, ran down the street to my friend, and got in her car. She drove me home. I could not fucking believe this had happened. When I got home, I figured out what I, what I needed to do to bail Sean out, and eventually I got him home the next day. We slept all day and had big bruises on my legs and arms. He had cuts and bruises all over his face. After we woke up and came to our senses, we thought, okay, okay, we're going to get a lawyer and sue Seattle Police Department for this bullshit we just went through. We got an attorney, showed him the pictures of our injuries. We told him our entire story. He thought we had a good case, and we started a lawsuit. Sean had been arrested for assaulting, assaulting a police officer. Of course, when he did not, we had a few meetings with the lawyer and things progressed over a bit of time. One day we got a call from him that we needed to drop our suit. We thought, what the fuck? Why? We can't let this go. We let them get away with what they did. He said we, he, had been sent a message and threatened to drop the suit or else. What? We said he, he repeated it to the best of our in, and safety not to take this any further or someone could get seriously hurt. He told us that the Seattle police had tough guys that would threaten people with harm and get cops brutally oh and get cops brutally suits dropped by scaring people. We were shocked and scared to death and by the advice of the attorney, he had seen this before and didn't want to take it any further either. So we dropped the suit. Never did anything again concerning it. Absolutely incredible, but true. Corruption at its best. 
all I have is this story to tell about it. And it still haunts me to this day that this happened and we cannot do anything about it. This has been my grudge against most all police officers for the last 35 plus years. I've had bad feelings towards cops. They always scare me when I see them and I never feel like they're there to help me or anyone else. Michelle, you changed my thinking with a story of your dad with being a good man and policeman. Ugh, shoot, dang it. You're going to make me cry. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to try to be an actress. Michelle, you changed my thinking with the story of your dad being a good man and policeman, wrapping the little girl in the sheets and singing to her, then putting her in the ambulance on her journey towards heaven. Actress Michelle, come on. And you telling us he hired people of color and women of women to be cops. Yep. <laughs> I needed to hear that too. Yes, there are bad cops, but there are good ones like your dad too. Actress. I need to know this to move on and have a glimpse of peace. Thank you for taking my rage away. Oh, thanks, Eileen. Eileen says, my stomach feels better. Not totally, but I think I might be able to sleep for the first time in several days. I will not stop my peaceful protest. <clears throat> Excuse me. I will not stop my peaceful protest against police brutality and racism, though. This is the project that I will never give up on. Good for you, Eileen. This, but now, I might wave and say hello to my neighborhood cops. And not have such a tight feeling in the pit of my stomach. May your dad's soul rest in eternal peace. <laughs> he was one of the good ones. Thanks. Eileen. <laughs> sent, thanks, Eileen. Eileen sent a second email letting us know they did drop their suit. Their charges were lessened. And many years later dropped. Their records are clear but for the memory of 1991. Damn, Eileen, jeez. That was powerful. Thanks for letting me read your story. Sorry, I'm wiping tears off there. Interesting that with all that's going on, Rebop, also called, he is so pissed off at the police and authority and needed to know stuff about his papa. That's that's what um, our, our kids call my dad, their grandpa, papa. So I got a, another question, not just for me, but from somebody else. Uh, Corey saying, your dad was a cop with all that's going on these days. Has your opinion about cops changed? <laughs> yes. I was supposed to read Eileen's story after that, but... Excuse me. Yeah, it has changed, but, but my dad started to change it too. I didn't understand. I mean, my dad's been gone for almost a decade. Remember, I think it was something, anything. My dad died like two days before the tour started or a couple days before. But even before that, one thing I didn't tell you is that 
my dad predicted all this stuff. It was funny. Uh, not funny. But he, my dad took, was the head of one of the biggest state police offices in Oregon. And like I've said before, started hiring Asians, Latinos, blacks, and the worst off that everyone thought women. And he got so much shit for it that he took early retirement. For that very reason. And had, I've said this before, and had to, we had a beach house in, in, on the Oregon coast. And he was so upset with the way things were in the, were in the world and his beloved you know, police department that he moved away from us. Well, we were already in college and stuff. But my mom was still teaching, so she stayed in the, in, Hillsborough, Oregon. My dad moved to the family beach house because he said, I just need to smoke cigars and stare at the ocean because the world that he loved had changed. Like I said, he died at least a decade ago and a decade before that, he would tell us kids, uh, that he was very worried about the way things were going in the police department, that training had changed. And, oh, I might repeat myself, but you guys keep sk- telling me you're skipping around episodes. So if you haven't heard of previous episodes, you know, I've heard from other policemen my whole life about things that my dad did that were remarkable, like, you know, city officers with a guns in their hands with a crazy guy with a knife and my dad just walks in looks at the crazy guy in the corner with a knife like swishing around <laughs> and walks up to him dips his head my dad always like dips his head uh, to seem non-threatening offers them a sandwich or lunch or, or some uh, avert ad some div- diversion sorry and the guy hesitates, grabs the knife, walks out, hands it to a policeman, and just goes about his business. But he said things changed. It stopped being about taking care of people and diffusing violence. It became military. And he was very aware of when that training changed. And that's why he took early retirement. Because it was no longer about communities and protect and serve stuff it was about preserve your life at all costs you know your own life at all costs like if you I mean what if Eileen I mean that was back in 1991 when policemen were supposed to protect and serve but if that had happened nowadays you and Sean might have been fired upon and that's frightening and that's what Rebop was so concerned about and asked me to tell him Papa stories. So I did. Now I'm pretty sure my dad made mistakes like we all do. We all fuck up all the time. But part of what he really loved about his job was that, that he could succeed with nonviolence. And I thought that was cool. Like I said, pretty sure he made mistakes. We all do. But it's nice to 
to have a hero in my back pocket. So thanks for that story, Eileen. And I'm going to tell a fun story. Um, oh, next week. <laughs> next week. or Oh, yeah, I'm going to do a, do a thing next week. But I'm trying to help Todd do his thing. And, you know, he's kind of last minute man. <laughs> so, like, he's going to tape one little segment tomorrow. And he said, oh, uh, I know it's 11 o'clock at night, but can I need these? Can you get this stuff for me tomorrow morning? Oh, yeah, sure. I kind of like that. It, enter it entertains me. But next week, Anna asked, with Blacks, Black Lives Matter, did you have any diversity in your upbringing? What effect did it have on Excuse me. What effect did it have on you? Oh. Yeah, I'm going to call my, my buddy Heather Radio <laughs> because we had some really interesting things happen in our extremely Scandinavian, very white town of Astoria, Oregon. But I think we were all very lucky to have some amazing people in the extreme minority come into our town. And they actually changed our town. So I can't wait to tell those stories. <laughs> but I, this story really... I heard this story in Scotland. I took a walk with Cindy. We were all... Oh, one of those long Todd walks from camp down to the water. And as she was telling this, I got tears in my eyes because it was beautiful. So when she emailed me, I was really proud to be able to tell this story. So Cindy says, hi, Michelle, it's 7 a.m. I just finished listening to your latest podcast to start my day. And once again, uh, so moved. You, Michelle, are truly a healer like your boyfriend. Oh, I haven't. Besides, I'm going to. With that, this, these are not Cindy's words. I haven't read this before. I'm ju I just printed it out after reading um, those two sentences. Sometimes, that's why, I, if you don't want me to read it, say it right, uh, read it on uh, my podcast. Say it right up front because I like discovering it with you. Okay, Cindy says, The stories of your father and other fathers help me to fill a big void in my heart. My own father passed away when I was a few months old, so I don't have any personal memories to share between us. He was a very handsome, kind, and loving with four daughters who absolutely adored him and shared their love for him with me. But I always wanted the tangible, the bear hug, the father-daughter dance, the moral compass, the words of wisdom. I wanted to have just one connection with him. This figment of my imagination had had a way oh this figment of my imagination had a way of finding me in my dreams when I was troubled. Always ethereal, couldn't really see a face, but the loving embrace was evident as I would feel someone rocking me back and forth in a comforting cocoon. I could feel the close rhythm of a heartbeat soothing me. Well, I'm going to read that again. In her dreams, always ethereal, couldn't really see a face, but the loving embrace was evident as I would feel someone rocking me back and forth in a comforting cocoon and could feel the close rhythm of a heartbeat soothing me. 
One day I told my mom, I was about seven, that I had a continuing dream of being cuddled and rocked back and forth. Her face turned ashen and she'd been crying and she told me my father would insist on putting me to bed every night, rocking me in his favorite chair and singing to me till I fell asleep up until the day he was hospitalized. She said he most likely postponed going earlier to the doctor than he should have because he knew it would mean not seeing you again as it got closer to the end. She said, never doubt that you had the most amazing father who loved you unconditionally. He is always with you. She said, my Todd story is attached, so I'm grateful for both of you and extending your hearts to us unconditionally. Oh, I'm sorry I'm not, I'm such a softy. That's my mom's fault. My dad was a strong one. <laughs> All right, I am happy to read, and I haven't read this one either. It's called From Cindy, Ode to the Healer. Oh, sorry, I hit my mic. From Cindy, Ode to the Healer. My gratitude for the healer's gift of songwriting is limitless. Through the years, it's risen like a phoenix from the depths of my soul, grown its own wings, discovered other kindred spirits, which manifested into a wonderful, vibrant being of exaltations. <laughs> It has taken me to places around the world and united me with family I never knew I had. It's given me love and received love. It's love itself. The healer first visited me in my teens when I couldn't see all the way through. Only sorrow was spoken at my house. My father died of cancer a few months after I was born, and when he died, my mother stopped living. She spiraled into a deep depression that deprived her of the ability to take care of herself, let alone nurture a new baby. My two older sisters left home as soon as they could when alcohol became my mother's best friend. My journey to rescue my mom from herself proved futile. This mission was never accomplished. She can't help, some, or you can't help someone who doesn't want to be saved. After years of trying, I surrendered to defeat. And so it was in this heavy teenage angst I sat cross-legged in my friend's bedroom where I confessed I didn't have the desire to live. For the first time, I shared my closely guarded secret that my mom was a completely dysfunctional alcoholic. The police had come to the house the evening before and told me I had to keep my mom in check as they had more important things to do than answer her calls for help every week. I told them she needed help. I needed help. No one was listening. I was at the lowest depths of misery. We sat there in silence as tears streamed down my face. And then it happened in an instant. Oh, I'm sorry. And then it happened in an instant. Darkness turned to light. 
My first epiphany came on the wings of a voice I'll never forget hearing, the words who would turn my head around. Quote, We're all homeless boys and girls, and we are never heard. It's such a lonely, lonely, lonely world. End quote. I sat there in suspended animation, quietly holding on to each word until the end of the song. I physically felt the void in my heart filled with pure joy. Sorry, I gotta get it together. I leapt up and ran into her brother's room and grabbed the album out of his hands. Utopia! I yelled while looking at the holy grail of strong planet. It was the theme of my life. I had always felt no one picked me up when I arrived at Will Call on Mother Earth. For the first time, I felt like someone understood me. Someone knew how I felt. It was quite motivational and empowering. Ah, Cindy, damn it. Cut away my tears. Okay, Cindy's words again. Todd's music that day literally changed my life. I was lifted out of my self-pity and warp speed. There was an immediate paradigm shift. Suddenly, I felt part of something. A collective body of others feeling alone and together. Well, <laughs> we were no longer alone. So simple, really, with me. Oh, sorry. So simple, really, camaraderie. Oh, I love that line. I got to read it again. So simple, really, camaraderie. Love of one another for one another. And then it dawned on me that love begins with me. I can love myself. My life wasn't dependent on someone loving me or not loving me. More importantly, I realized that I could count on myself. I didn't need anyone. No matter what happened to my mother, I could trust in myself to survive any adversity. I realized it was because of myself that I had made it to the threshold of adulthood. And lastly, in taking care of myself, it was okay that I couldn't fix my mother. It was okay that I couldn't fix my mother. My mother forbade me to leave, but I was headstrong in moving forward. I gave myself permission to live my life. Or did the healer show me the light? <sighs> Todd became amused when I realized the importance of words themselves. I began writing. I wrote for days on end and never stopped. My English teacher became a fan of my short stories and encouraged my writing. She mentored me in my senior year solely to write short stories for her. Writing became my therapy and a lifelong love. It also began an epic musical journey with Todd and Utopia. For some reason I could never explain, their music was always synchronicity with whatever rite of passage I was embarking on at the time. 
The decision to move to San Francisco without knowing anyone was a difficult one, but overcoming obstacles became a challenge. I found a great job and moved into a flat two blocks from Haight Street. <laughs> I tried running away several times as a child in Marin to join the flower children in Golden Gate Park, but my mother's conservative views squelched any of my independent desires. But now, here I was on the hate. Time to explore. Although the flower children were gone, only remnants of a bygone era were visible. Saddened by being too late to the party, I popped into a cramped toy store, being careful not to hit anything, when I turned the corner and bumped smack into Todd. I was speechless and could only rouse a a gushing smile. Todd's here in the city. Life was good. My office bay window in Ghirardelli Square had a spectacular view of the Golden Gate Bridge and looked across the bay at my birthplace in Kentfield. <laughs> I had finally made it to the big city. Yet, it didn't take long for the guilt of leaving my mother alone to find me and settle in. I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders and my enthusiasm waned. Days later, however, the tide would turn. I was befriended by a wonderful group of students at San Francisco Conservatory of Music. I met a drummer who was a Todd Rundgren fan. Kismet! One night after I shared a story from my childhood, he told me I had some open wounds that only the healer could heal. He asked if I'd heard healing yet, which I hadn't. He brought me into his room and told me to lay on the bed. With the phonograph needle poised to play healing, he turned off the lights and told me to come out when it was over and close the door. Wow. The second epiphany was a metamorphosis for me. I went into that room a broken woman and emerged a complete one. Listen, listen to my voice, captured me from the beginning and took me through a spiritual journey that I cannot express in words. The words, the melodies, the layered harmonies, the instruments, together the arrangements pulled me through what I could only describe as a toxic emotional exorcism, purging deeply repressed feelings and replacing them with forgiveness. I walked out of that room in a new, a new person and began my new life without apologizing for it again. The healer had healed me once again. Years later, I was celebrating the birth of my child, Sarah. Sarah was about a week overdue, and several days after she was born, she was diagnosed with jaundice. We were instructed to bring her back to the hospital in neonatal ICU. It was Mother's Day weekend. Oh, this is good, Cindy. Okay. It was Mother's Day weekend, and it wouldn't have my baby on my first Mother's Day. 
having bonded with her for a few days at home prior to having her return back to the hospital was, it was the bleakest day of my life. It was so hard for me to leave her there in the midst of all the other tiny babies struggling for breath of life. I wanted to stay overnight, but they insisted she, she'd be fine and to go home and to get some sleep. I cried all the way home. I didn't know how I was going to get through the night. I was in the bathroom crying uncontrollably when I saw a section of BAM on the floor, BAM magazine, on the floor with GREN sticking out. G-R-E-N. I reached for it and opened it. To my absolute surprise, Todd Rundgren was performing Second Wind at Warfield that, that night. I felt like divine intervention. I was so consumed with the pregnancy. I hadn't seen this upcoming tour. We got the la What? Sorry, that's my comment. <laughs> I can't believe what I'm going to read next. Sorry. I got to drink water and compose myself. <laughs> okay, back to Cindy's words. I got to find where I was reading. I'm going to uh I'm going to go back to um where Cindy says, I was so consumed with the pregnancy, I hadn't seen his upcoming tour. We got the last two tickets, and for a few hours that night, I was completely enthralled in Todd's soothing music, and once again, I left feeling healed. <laughs> Sarah had made a miraculous recovery and was able to come home. These experiences proved to me the therapeutic qualities of Todd's work. And yet, the healer would come through once again for me in my darkest hour. Damn, Cindy, this is so good, it's hard to read. My sister was, Cindy says, my sister was diagnosed with a rare degenerative brain disease. It lays dormant in your body until your 60s when it ravages even the healthiest of people. When my brother-in-law called to tell me to come be with her, I got on the next plane. Although I was preparing myself for the worst, I wasn't expecting to see the shell of a beautiful woman she once was. Celia. Celia had withered away without my knowing what ravages had overcome her body. In his denial, her husband hadn't started or hadn't shared with me how bad she was. A 60-pound bald woman stared back at me with trembling hands and whispered, Help me, as she tried to hold my hand and take a breath. She hadn't been bathed in a very long time. She was screaming out in pain, and the, the contractions contorted her body. I looked at her medication. Her doctors had only prescribed Oxycontin, which didn't even touch the pain. I asked my brother-in-law why hospice hadn't been called. She should have had nurses caring for her with a terminal illness. I was furious and guilt-ridden that she had not been adequately cared for. When I was told the primary physician didn't approve her request for hospice care, I called him and fired him. The angels of hospice came several hours later. We brought my sister downstairs into a hospital bed, into the front room where she could look out into the green pastures. We bathed her and comforted her. 
It took several days to get her pain under control, but she still couldn't take a full breath. Every time she tried to speak, the contractions would consume her, her leaving her barely able to breathe. She would hyperventilate and scream horrifically. I had only endured this hell for, oh, I had only endured this hell for days, but my sister had been enduring it for years. The feeling of despair sit in for us all. After trying everything imaginable to prevent my sister from being in an agitated state and hyperventilating, I felt she needed something to meditate on to try to get her heart rate down. I darkened the room and turned to and turned on healer from my iPod. <clears throat> Sorry, I don't know if you heard me. Cindy darkened the room and turned on healer on her iPod. I told her to concentrate on the voice while holding her hand and breathing with her until finally, magically, she was able to hold that rhythm and truly relax in time with the music. Damn, sorry, I'm trying to read this as an actress. It's impossible. Tears were pulling were pouring down both of our faces. And at that moment in time, time was ours. I told her how beautiful she was. What an extraordinary life she'd led. How blessed we are to have such beautiful, healthy children and grandchildren. What an amazing journey to love and to be loved. We only had about 10 minutes to talk privately before the pain took over again, but oh, how bittersweet it was. <sighs> she spoke her last words to me. Thank you. Oh, shit, Cindy, I can't read this part. Wow. Okay, water. <clears throat> Cindy, you are a really good writer. Okay. Then Cindy, I'll read her last sentence. She spoke her last words to me. Thank you. She part. She departed two days later, on June twenty second, twenty ten. I chose to remember June 22nd as the day her soul was freed and the day the healer was born. Oh, shit. God damn it. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cuss during reading your beautiful story. Ah. Her last, uh, Cindy's last par paragraph is human connection, acts of kindness, a shared affirmation of the love and loss we experience in life binds us all. The words and music that carry these themes unite us. In a troubled world, the healing power of music lifts our spirits and many times cures our maladies. Friendships and musical collaborations that span decades multiplied in lifetimes. This, Todd Rundgren, is why we love you. Your family, the music behind the man. 
over my lifetime. The seas and heal. I've wondered if the healer himself knew how far his... I'll start that over again, sorry. Dang, this is good. This, Todd... I've wondered if the healer himself knew how far his words echoed across the canyons, sailed the seas, and healed the hearts of, of a word crying out to him. And now I know he does. You can see it in the faces of the global Rengrid Nation. <laughs> and Sarah Appreciation Cindy. Cindy Michelson. I hope it's okay I said your last name, Cindy. Damn. Yeah, you are a good writer and thank you. I and some of you listening to it during the daytime, that that might have been heavy that I got so emotional, but dang. I know many of us get emotional and um and I don't often remember <clears throat> that what he writes is uh kind of the soundtrack the soundtrack and and guidance and stuff. So thank you, Cindy, for writing such a beautiful piece. Man, I don't even know how to how to end that show. Maybe that's just so perfect. I will end it now. And thank you again for making Todd so I know he's made you happy, but you guys also make him really happy. I can't tell you how excited he is to... Well, I said it in the beginning of the show. Maybe that's how I say it again in the show. That he's really excited to do these shows from home. He doesn't own a cell phone, but we got him one of those really fancy iPhone 11s just for the camera. There's no cell service on it. He just, you know, is taking pictures of things and every night when he does the sunset. And tonight, it's funny, he didn't set up the camera because there were no clouds. And then all of a sudden at the last minute it came, the sun, beautiful sunset came and he goes, Oh my God, I didn't get that for them. Meaning us, you, them, us. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to do a show every other week than Todd does. I might miss a week because he needs a lot of help. Like tomorrow I have a very important job. I have a grocery list. He loves doing silly little things in the kitchen. But damn it, the last time the shot showed our dirty, no, our clean dishes in the shot. I told him what to shoot. Like just shoot the flowers. But you know him. He has his own mind. <laughs> he doesn't see all the dirt. <laughs> he just sees the fun. Uh, all right, thank you guys so much. I, I think I get I get so much out of this too. So hopefully you guys are too. Aloha, Nui Loa. I'll see you next week. <laughs>